Spirit are those who are morally and spiritually bankrupt, and they know it. That they have no righteousness of their own that they can claim belongs to themselves, and they're completely incapable of paying their debt of sin. Jesus goes on to say, blessed are those who mourn. All mourning exists because of sin. The presence of sin in uh, the effects of sin in our lives, in our church, in the world, the poor in spirit are those who recognize this and will mourn over these things. Blessed are the meek. Jesus says it's out of our poverty of spirit and mourning over sin that brings us to this place of humility. We're empty, we're broken, we've laid down our pride, and when we're in this place, we're now finally ready to receive. And this is what Jesus shows us in verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they'll be satisfied. And so what we, three questions, very simple questions that we're going to ask about this passage this morning. First question, who are those who hunger and thirst? Who are those who hunger and thirst? Well, if each one of the Beatitudes builds on the others, we know who this group is. Those who hunger and thirst are those who are poor in spirit. We know that physically poverty and hunger go hand in hand. And apart from Jesus Christ, church, you and I have spiritual food insecurity. What sin does is it starves us of all holiness and righteousness. Think of sin almost as like an intestinal tapeworm. We are constantly feeding on the things of this world, but all it does is leave us hungrier than we were before. You can think of sin like salt water. In our sinful state, where we're stranded on a boat, we're surrounded by water, but we can't drink any of it. The more that we drink, the thirstier we become, and in fact, it starts to poison us from the inside. Those who hunger and thirst are those who mourn. It's, it's those who see the effects of sin and long for the justice, righteousness, and holiness of God. Those who hunger and thirst are those, as Alex showed us last week, who are meek. Our pride has finally waved the white flag. We've forfeited our efforts to gain this world because we've recognized that there will be a new heaven and a new earth, and we will be co-heirs who reign and inherit all of this through Jesus Christ. So that's who the hungry and the thirsty are. It's those who are poor in spirit, it's those who mourn, it's those who are meek. The Beatitudes, again, they're not independent statements, they're interdependent. This is the whole of the Christian experience. Second question, what do we hunger and thirst for? The only person who has promised that they will be satisfied is the one who hungers and thirsts for righteousness. Jesus does not promise satisfaction to any other group. It's those who hunger and thirst for righteousness that will be satisfied. Righteousness in its simplest form is holy and upright living in accordance with God's standard. Righteousness is a state that conforms to an authoritative standard. God's character is the definition and source of all righteousness, so we see through Scripture that the righteousness of human beings is, is defined in light of God's perfect righteousness. So when Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, he is speaking of those who recognize the absence of righteousness in their own lives and equally recognize that the righteousness they desire can be found in God and God alone. There's two passages of Scripture that help us contrast human attempts at righteousness and God's perfect righteousness. Righteousness. Isaiah 64, the prophet says that we all have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds, Isaiah says, are like a polluted garment. Apart from Jesus Christ, even the good things that we do are a form of rebellion. Even the good things we do, even the righteous things that we attempt to do on our own, they're a form of rebellion against God because we're essentially telling God, I can earn this on my own. My deeds are good enough. I don't need the perfection of Christ. I can do good enough on my own. I can be righteous enough on my own. And through my righteousness, I can inherit what you promise. But Isaiah says that all righteousness, it's like filthy rags, a polluted garment. 
that that's what the best of our righteousness looks like. But then we contrast this to God's righteousness. Psalm 145, 17. The psalmist says, The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. So we see the contrast between human righteousness and God's righteousness. Again, very few of us know what it means to be truly hungry or thirsty. I'm just curious, who skipped breakfast this morning because you knew Craig Reeves was cooking today, and, and you just wanted to be ready to go for that? So, so who's feeling a little bit hungry right now? Again, all of us know, know in some capacity, very few of us know what it means to be truly hungry. I, I mean, to the place that we're living every single day of our lives, just wondering where our next meal is going to come from. Very few of us know what this experience is really like. For most of us, when we think about being hungry, we, we think, well, I typically eat lunch at noon, and, and that, that today has to be delayed until 1.30. Or on the busiest of days, we, we might skip a meal, and, and even as we skip the meal and we feel hungry, we do it with confidence because we know that another meal is likely coming just a few hours down the road. And so very few of us know what it means to be truly hungry. Very few of us know what it means to be truly thirsty. Thirsty is, I've been standing here for about seven, eight minutes, and my throat's a little bit parched because it's hot outside, and I need a drink of water. That's a great spot for me to actually do that. Very few of us know what it means to be truly hungry. Very few of us know what it means to be truly thirsty. Just imagine Jesus. He's, he's on this mountainside. He's out, outdoors. Likely on a hot day in the middle of, of the Middle East, he's talking to a crowd of people, most of whom really understood what it meant to be physically hungry. Most of whom had, had been born into poverty and truly were struggling day to day. At a time and in a culture where there were major threats like famine and drought and wells that could run dry. Jesus was talking to people who really understood what it meant to be hungry. Jesus was talking to people who really understood what it meant to be thirsty. And here's what Jesus does. He attaches all of those physical impulses with spiritual desires. He says, that aching you feel in your gut for food, that, that dry feeling of a parched throat because you're thirsty, he says, if, he's asking this crowd, he says, does your soul feel that way? Does your soul feel this way? Like, do, do you feel this aching, this longing in your soul? Do you know that the things of this world are incapable of satisfying? He says, guess what? I've got a meal you can eat where you'll never go hungry again. I've got something that you can drink where you will never thirst again. Can you imagine how this crowd is just hanging on the next word of what Jesus has to say? When he says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for blank. This, this group of people who understands what poverty is like, this group of people who understands what it means to hunger and to thirst, can you imagine how they're just kind of waiting with bated breath? What's he going to say next? What will, what will satisfy my hunger? What will satisfy my, my thirst? But, but let's look at what Jesus doesn't say. That Jesus doesn't say to this crowd, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for religion. He doesn't say blessed are those who hunger and thirst for some emotional experience. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for possessions. He doesn't say blessed are those who hunger and thirst for attention. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for the perfect body. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for a bigger house and a better job and a boat. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for a big 401k. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for food or sex or drink. He says blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. This is the only group that's promised satisfaction. Everything else that we try to satisfy our hunger and our thirst on, it is a well that's going to run dry. This is one of the most famous quotes from C.S. Lewis. And, and honestly, I think it's overused, but, but this is, you, you guys feel free to check me on this. Church, I don't think I've used this quote in six years. I've been saving it for a good day. 
And, and I feel like this is finally the place to deploy the most overused quote in, in all of everything that C.S. Lewis has written. He says this, we are half-hearted creatures. Fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. We are far too easily pleased. Friends, do you hunger and thirst for righteousness? Do you hunger and thirst for the only thing that will bring you satisfaction? Have you taken up Christ on his offer of a holiday at the sea? Are you content to still continuing making mud pies in the slums? Over the last few weeks, we've seen that there is blessedness in our brokenness. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. But the evidence that we're truly in Christ is not simply that we are broken and mourn over sin. The evidence that we're truly in Christ is that we will hunger and thirst for his righteousness. It's not just being broken over sin. It's that we hunger and thirst for righteousness. The third question that we'll answer, what are the righteous promised? What are the righteous promised? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. This is what we're promised. You know, just a few days ago, um, our plans for being here this morning were very much in, 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 in I mean, just a, a cloud of uncertainty at the time, in literal and physical clouds, right? Uh, poured rain all of last week, and we had come by the field, and the ground was just soaked, and, and there was rain in the forecast all through the weekend. I was leaving the office on Thursday, and was talking to Michael on my way out, because uh, Friday's our staff's day off, and I was like, well, I'll see you somewhere on Sunday. Um, didn't know if it was going to be here, didn't know if it was going to be in the YMCA, we were kind of ready to go either way, and, and, and I'm going to be honest, y'all, I I wish I could stand here this morning and tell you that my disappointment in this being canceled today was, was some great spiritual reason. Guys, my biggest disappointment, if, if this was going to get canceled, was the fact that we weren't going to get to eat what Craig was cooking. And, um, and, and that had me extremely disappointed. I was, I was extremely disheartened. If you've never eaten anything that Craig Reeves has cooked, I'm just going to go ahead and say out loud, you're welcome. Um, this, is, this is our gift to you today, and we're glad that you get to enjoy this. And, and man, man, Craig is, is just lights out when, when it comes to food and, and does such an incredible job with stuff like this and we're excited what he has for us today. But here, here's what's amazing is, is here in a few moments, we're, we're going to pray, we're going to eat, and, and I hope and pray you eat to the full. I, I pray that today truly in our eating and our drinking and our fellowship with one another, we will do it all to the glory of God. I pray that we can do this as we fellowship together as, as the body of Christ. But here's what's amazing. No matter how much you eat here for lunch today, you're probably going to be hungry by tonight. But like, even if you don't feel the need for a full meal later on this evening, you're probably sneaking a bowl of cereal or something right before bed. Or at best, you're making it to breakfast tomorrow morning. No matter how good it is, no matter how great it is, here in just a few hours, we're all probably going to be hungry again. And this is how it is with everything that this world has to offer us. This is how it goes with fame. This is how it goes with money. This is how it goes with success. This is how it goes with food or drink or sex or rest. No matter how much uh, you think you have, no matter how satisfied you think you are, at the end of the day, you just end up craving more. And the cold reality of this world is that the more you seek eternal or ultimate satisfaction in these things, in these temporary pleasures, the cold reality of this world is that the more you seek these things, the less satisfied you will be. The less satisfied you'll be. If you're following the church ride Bible reading plan, our reading this morning had us in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, 
where the preacher in Ecclesiastes reminds us in Ecclesiastes 3.11 that God has placed eternity in the heart of man. You and I were made for eternity. And the reason you can't find satisfaction in the things of this world is because eternal beings cannot be satisfied by temporary things. And God has created you this way. In love, he's created you with, with almost this spiritual homing device. He's created us in such a way that we will feel and we will experience the emptiness of this world so that we will be drawn to him and him alone as the one who can fill that void. We were all born with this God-shaped void imprinted on our souls. It's like a, a missing puzzle piece that he alone is sufficient to fill. And, and the more we try to fill it with the things of this world, the more empty we'll become. And friend, hear me today what I'm telling you. That is the Lord drawing you to himself. He's allowing you to taste the emptiness of the things of this world so that you will run to him and find your only satisfaction in him. Jesus said in John 6.35, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. If we hunger and thirst for righteousness, we will be satisfied. And ask this question, what is the extent of this righteousness? Like, just how satisfied will we be? Well, let's just look ahead a few verses in the Sermon on the Mount. Verse 6, Jesus says, if you hunger and thirst for righteousness, you'll be satisfied. But if you skip ahead to verse 10, Jesus shows us, if you're righteous, you will be persecuted. We'll see this in a few weeks. Blessed are those who are persecuted. So do you see the connection here? Jesus promises, if you hunger and thirst for righteousness, you'll be satisfied. But he also promises a few verses later that if you are righteous, you will be persecuted. So, so what then is the extent of this satisfaction? What Jesus shows us in the Sermon on the Mount is this is the extent of the satisfaction. This whole world can turn its back on you and burn your body at the stake and you will still have everything you need in Jesus Christ. Your soul will still be fully content and satisfied in him. This world can turn its back on you. They can lie about you. They can gossip against you. They can slander you. They can revile you. They can kill your body. And you will still have everything you need in Christ. That is the extent of the satisfaction that's offered us in Jesus you know, the early church father, Augustine, spent most of his youth chasing after the pleasures of this world. And after throwing his entire being for, for most of his young life into women and drink and status and knowledge, he finally experienced the emptiness of it all and he recognized his need for the righteousness of God. And these were the famous words of Augustine following his conversion experience. He said, Lord, you have made us for yourself and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. Friend, is your soul resting in Jesus Christ? Or are you still trusting in your own righteousness? Have you taken up Christ on his offer of a holiday at the sea? Or are you still making mud pies in the slum? You who have been created for eternity, are you still trying to satisfy your appetite on the things of this world? Jesus promises if you hunger and thirst for righteousness and righteousness alone, you'll be satisfied. You will be satisfied. So, so one challenge for us, church, as we go today, if those who hunger and thirst for righteousness will be satisfied, my challenge to you, a response for us today, is to feast on Jesus Christ. As Jonathan Edwards, who once said, there is no such virtue as temperance in spiritual feasting. You know, at the beginning of our time of worship, just a few moments ago, we've been reading for the last several weeks Ephesians 5, 18 through 21, which reminds us, don't get drunk with wine, but instead be filled with the Spirit. 
Again, it's possible to overindulge in the things of this world. But isn't this amazing what Jesus says? Like, it's impossible to overindulge on Jesus. You can never get enough of him. And the more you experience of him, the more of him you want. That this is the evidence of the new birth. This is the evidence of a regenerated heart. This is the evidence of a person who's truly in Jesus Christ. Is that we hunger and thirst for all that he has and all that he is. So how do we do this? We do this by feasting on his word. But we do this by feasting on his presence, the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit, asking the Lord for for an increased awareness of his presence in our lives. We do this by praying, by seeking the Lord. Jesus said that we we feed, that we, we get spiritual food. The truly mature person in Christ doesn't wait on somebody else to feed them. He says in John 4, no, my food is to do the will of my Father in heaven. So we feast on Christ by, by doing everything he's called us to do. We can even feast on Christ by fasting. As, as we remove physical desires, we increase our, our spiritual desire, and we ask for the Lord to meet that desire. So we feast on Jesus Christ. And here's the promise of Matthew 5, 6. Friends, if Christ is all you have, then you have everything you need. And you will never have everything you need until Jesus Christ is all you need to have. Is he all you need? Is Jesus all you need? And if he's all you need, then friends, you have everything you need, even if the world takes everything else away. So will you just bow your heads with me?